Hello, dear listener. Gabe from the Editing Bay here. I just wanted to get in ahead of the episode and let you know that those mysterious clicks that we do not know where they come from, from the Madeira episode, are back for this one. I have tried to clean up the audio as much as I can, but I wasn't able to get rid of all of them, so I do apologize for that. Hopefully that doesn't bother you too much. I do think this is actually a pretty interesting episode. Michael agrees. So let's get on to it. Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I am, as ever, your trepidatious co-host, Michael, a former wine sales associate as well as vineyard worker. And I'm Gabe. I'm WSCT Level 3 Certified in Wine, and I'm an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. And today we are going to be talking about a little... We're going to ruin everything. Yeah, we're going to ruin everything. Because, well, to be truthful, I mean, we're kind of just jumping on the bandwagon with that other guy that likes to ruin everything. What's his name? Um, Madoff or something? Robert Madoff. Robert Madoff, Jason Parker. Jason Bourne. Jason, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We wanted to uh, address the Adam Ruins Everything video, not for the entire length of the episode, just uh, to kind of talk about the science of how perception works. Do you want to, uh, for those people that did not listen to the social media episodes, give a quick summary of what that video stated? Yeah, absolutely. So Adam Ruins Everything comes on to the scene and I don't dislike adam ruins everything i actually find his show to be informative and entertaining if a little bit reductive at times yeah and this time it was fairly reductive essentially he comes out and he is addressing wine tastings and the whole point of the video was to basically say that wine tasting as a practice and wine culture is all bullcrap and that you should just be able to enjoy wine for yourself without having to worry about judgment and the claims that he made were that wine experts couldn't discern between wines and that there was no real difference between cheap wines and expensive wines. And he cited a couple of different studies in order to support that. And it kind of chaffed me. It kind of it kind of got me curious. So we went ahead and looked at these studies that he cited, and it did not say what they were trying to claim it was saying. Yeah. So I kind of have a bit of a a beef with that video just on the premise of it and that being i feel like adam was responding a little bit too much to a straw man Mm -hmm. of wine tasters particularly like expert wine tasters and i get this is an entertainment format so i'm not expecting no hyperbole but the wine expert in the video is portrayed as this like trying to talk about the winemaker's wife was pregnant and stuff And he like can that. tell by the smell. And the reason why we're addressing this, like I see this still brought up in online arguments and it really does paint a lot of people's expectation for going to a wine tasting. And I've seen people even have this opinion so that they're like, oh, well, I wouldn't go to a wine room for a wine tasting because it's all just bullcrap. So he makes this whole straw man about this guy who is able to discern, you know, the position of the stars during the time that the grapes are harvested or whatever. And it's like, "Mm, mm, that's that's not what wine experts are actually looking for in a wine. I don't even think that most wine experts outside of maybe masters of wine and master psalms, which if you don't know what those terms mean, those are like people that have studied for years and taken some of the most difficult exam well not some of the most difficult exams you can take in the wine industry so they really do have to prove their palate they might be able to tell you you know 
the specific vineyard that that Burgundy came from. But I think most wine experts aren't really claiming to be able to do that. I mean, some absolutely do, and some of those people are absolutely full of BS. Yeah, but they're off their rocker. Yeah, but the the majority, I think, of experts are trying to communicate something that, yes, might sound a little um, pretentious to a layperson. But just because something sounds pretentious doesn't mean it is pretentious, and that doesn't mean that it's not real or valuable. Either. Yeah. When you're in the realm of wine, or really any realm where there's a consistent practice and there are metrics that will determine quality, expertise is not something that just happens. And it's not because of any sort of, in the world of wine, extrasensory perception or, or anything like that. It has to do with a developed skill. Yeah. And they develop the skill. If you're an expert, that means you have to have around 10 years of experience practicing like three hours a day. Mm -hmm. That's a neurological fact. Yeah. So the the way that this was just kind of dismissed as no this practice cannot actually make it to where you could tell things like tannin structure or discern between a red and a white mm -hmm. it's just not supported by science or by just empirical evidence well speaking of the science let's dive into the science that adam presented in the video because that's really what interests us more than adam's video itself if yeah being honest yeah, exactly. So we, we went and we decided to take a look at, uh, well, first, I, I went and looked at the Brochet study. Frederick Brochet, he was out of University of Bordeaux in France. He put out this research that actually was super controversial at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, the claim that was made inside of the Adam Ruins Everything video was that it was a group of people who were experts in wine and that they weren't able to tell the difference between a white wine and a white wine dyed red, mm -hmm. and they were, you know, just making up things, basically describing both of the wines according to their color. So, you know, white wine descriptive terms for the white wine, and then red wine descriptive terms for the red wine dyed red. And the core of that is fairly true, but it's not as nuanced as it should be. Well, when that we, wasn't the only one he cited either. No, Roche. it's not. Yeah. No. Um, so in this one, the study that was actually done was a group of enology students. So not winemakers, not uh, specifically wine tasters or sommeliers, but a group of students, none of whom were experts, and all of whom were being tested only on smell. This study was conducted using a dye that was odorless, and they tested that in order to confirm. And that's actually going to be a little bit more important later. So what they were able to prove through this study was that a person's visual perception of the wine can impact what their other senses are going to then begin to interpret. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't saying that they couldn't discern between the wines. It was simply saying that your other senses will inform your experience. And that's one of the more important things to realize about perception in general. Now, what it didn't do was say that they couldn't tell between a red and a white because the control was to put a bunch of people in a dark room with an opaque cup so that they couldn't see the wine and to give them the white wines and the white wine dyed red. And they were all able to discern that it was just a white wine. Well, and part of this study as well is they actually were tested on a white and a red as yeah, a control as to begin well, with. a white bordeaux and a red bordeaux and they did use different descriptors and, for each and that one. was also 
totally blind. Exactly. Both of those controls showed that people were able to actually discern once the vision was taken out of it. So what the study was actually proving was a vision-based bias. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us to how perception works in general. Yeah. I actually, before you really dive into that, yeah, I yeah. just, this is from the abstract of the paper. Oh, please. And so I just want to say this because Adam isn't even the only person that has used this study to kind of try and say that all wine tasting is bunk. There are plenty of articles. I think the article that Adam pulled from was from the Atlantic, if I remember correctly, that referenced these studies, mm -hmm. which is another thing that bothers me is you've referenced an article talking about the studies. You did not reference the studies themselves. But anyway, what, what do they uh, call that game again? Grapevine? <laughs> <laughs> Telegrape? <laughs> Telegrape. Yeah, it's like it's just that it's just a bunch of people misinterpreting a study and then using citation from the misinterpretation uh -huh. and trying to claim validity that way. Yeah. So the quote from the abstract is, hence, because of the visual information, the tasters discounted the olfactory information. Together with recent psychophysical and neuroimaging data, our results suggest that the above perceptual illusion occurs during the verbalization phase of odor determination. Now, I know that's a lot of science words that I just threw at you, but basically it's saying... What they were going for is essentially what you just said. How does vision affect the other ways that we perceive sensory input? What's mm -hmm. the interplay there? It wasn't trying to say, oh, we can fool people when we purposefully try to fool them. Yeah. And therefore, everything that wine experts say is wrong. Well, that wasn't even really the original, which I kind of have my own opinion on what Frederick might or might not have been going after with these studies. I'm not trying to say one way or the other what they were or were not, but I, I think even the worst interpretation you could give his studies, though, is not that he was trying to, like, take down the wine industry. No, and you couldn't from the data that was presented. Yeah. What was presented was simply a dynamic of human perception that is a reality. Mm -hmm. And also, these are a bunch of students that, you know, were probably afraid that they were going to get it wrong. So even though some of the students were actually giving the right descriptions that wasn't really the aim of this and a lot of them were probably afraid that they were going to get it wrong so they if they did smell the white wine notes they might have just put down red wine notes because they saw that it was a red wine yeah well and so within the same study he did another experiment and this one was another thing where adam was trying to say oh wine tasters can't taste the difference and this was where he took two red Bordeaux's. Both were a Vendé Terre, which is basically like base level bottom shelf wine from Bordeaux. And then put the same wine in a bottle labeled as a Grand Cru Classé, mm -hmm. which is one of the higher appellations within Bordeaux. And gave those to the students as well, who again, Adam called experts and they were not experts. Which that's not to say that these enology students probably don't know more about wine than the average person. They were enology students, so they're literally studying the winemaking process and vineyard practices and stuff. But they're, but they're not students. Yeah, they're not 10 years proven. Exactly. And we don't know what year they were. We don't know. They could have been freshmen for all we know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th there's there's some doubt to be cast there. But that study did show that they used descriptors that indicated higher status to the Grand Cru Classé and the inverse for the Vendée Terre. And again, 
it really just kind of serves, in my opinion, to prove that when you try and purposely fool people, you can fool them. Yeah. And I, I do think, and we'll get into this later, that an expert probably would, like an actual like tried and true expert, probably would have been able to point out, at least on some level, that something was amiss if they had the correct training in their uh, repertoire. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that when you have people going into something, especially who are novices or amateurs, which is what these individuals would have been, mm -hmm. your bias can actually change the way that your actual sensory organs perceive things. Sure. And, and so actually, again, from the abstract of the paper, from a cognitive point of view, these data suggest that conscious perceptive representation of the food contains information from different origins and that a subject is not able to selectively extract chemosensory information from this global representation. All of that to say, again, sorry for all the jargon I just threw at you, um, that yes, our perception of a thing does color how we think that thing actually is in reality. And this is something that I do take issue with when people try and put this fact, and this is a fact, and this is a shortcoming of just the human brain. And it's my problem when people bring it up specific to wine, because, for example, other studies have shown that if you eat the same food in a high-end restaurant and in a fast food restaurant, like literally the same food, you do have a different perception of it. So just because you think wine experts are full of crap, you're still prone to the same bias. Exactly. And this is why we study human perception, because yeah. you need to know the tools that you're working with in order to underpin the practice of what you do. In our last episode, we were talking about the actual practice of wine tasting that you can do in order to have a conversation with your perception. Mm -hmm. When your brain is trying to interpret things, it's not able to just immediately go and be like, hey, this is exactly what I'm looking at is. Mm -hmm. You are not adapted to know what a thing is. Yeah. You are adapted to have a formulation of stimulus from your vision, your taste, your smell, your hearing, your equilibrium. All of those things come together in order to try and create a world model to identify where you are and what's in front of you as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't know what it is. It's resolving what it might be. Yeah. And so it's going to have flaws. It's going to have things that dampen how you perceive things. It's going to have things that influence how you perceive things. Yeah. And knowing that is how we try to mitigate that because something as simple as your world perspective on what you could expect from a wine can end up painting it differently to your senses. Exactly. So with that all being said, I know we kind of have already started picking apart these studies, but why don't we get a little bit more into yeah, that and some of the science behind what is actually true versus what isn't. Yeah. One thing to point out is that it was not all the students, but from my understanding of the data in the studies, because we actually did go in and read the original study, mm -hmm. um, at least the full report of the um, white wine that was dyed red, I couldn't find the full study of the one that was the Grand Cru oh, Classe. It, it took so long to find these. Yeah. Um, but because everybody was citing them, nobody yeah. actually had a link to them. And a lot of them are, you know, paywalled in uh, the journal that it came from. Unfortunately, we don't have that in the budget right now. No. <laughs> so I, I had to go through a, a summary that I found online of the 
uh, Grand Cru Classe versus the Bond de Terre. It would have saved so much time if we did have a subscription right. to those, though. Oh, Lord. Well, or for Mon L Chemical Census Center. Oh. If hey, anybody just wants to, you know day. what? Don't even buy us wine. Don't buy us equipment. <laughs> buy Get us journal subscriptions. Yeah, please. We'll do the research for you. You exactly. don't need, like, that's what we're here for. Yeah. So this this is how we like to spend our time. <laughs> we're nerds. Okay. So um, so from my interpretation of the data, going back to the, the white versus red, dyed red study, a handful of students actually did use white descriptors mm-hmm. on the red wine. Granted, 100%. again, it was only a handful, but... That does go to show that there are people, whether that came from training or some people, well, we know some people are more sensitive tasters than others. We have what's called super tasters, which actually normally makes you a worse wine taster, but that's a different story. Well, but again, they weren't even tasting it. They were just smelling it. Yeah. And so, but saying all that to say, some people were able to point this out Mm -hmm. who were not quote unquote wine experts, even though they were called wine experts by the people that cited the study. We'll stop mentioning that, but it, <laughs> it really just, is it's just, such a, like, it's so manipulative. obvious, like, I would not go to the ER and have faith if a third year med student who hasn't gotten their nursing license came in and was like, I'll be taking care of you today. Yeah. I'd be like, can you please find me a, a licensed nurse? Well, no. And, if you... and that's not to discount their education, because yeah. I understand medical school is really hard. And this is actually something I come across a lot on TikTok and it drives me nuts is I'm an ex-student and I'm going to break down this thing. And it's like, I understand that you're in it. I understand you're learning this, but you need time in the real world outside the academic context to actually put your learning into practice. That's a bit of a side note. I'm sorry. But my point is students are probably not the people to pull from for this kind of Mm -hmm. experiment and that's why it makes us both so angry (laughs) well and also it'd be like after that person messed up on you whatever their practice was you went out and were telling people don't go to doctors i had an expert work on me yeah and they you know messed me up real bad and like Mm -hmm. that does happen in the medical industry you know oh sure but it would be like doctors are wrong sometimes yeah doctors are wrong. that doesn't mean that the practice of medicine needs to be discounted exactly and also it doesn't you know, you having a bad experience with a student that you let practice on you doesn't mean that the whole field is without merit. Exactly. So well, thanks. <laughs> so some of the students, though, some of these, you know, not expert experts did get it right. So that already maybe kind they of just the whole. Maybe they just didn't have as much anxiety going into it. So they're yeah. like, I smell white wine. Or again, because we don't know what year these students were, it could be that it was mixed. It could have been that these were like graduate students, maybe, or something who had more training under their belt. Like, there's all sorts of reasons. Also, I think my biggest problem with this part of the study is a list of descriptors was provided for the Mm -hmm. students. It came from their descriptors. So, so it it was was the students' own descriptors. Well, and it was student specific, too. Yeah. But it came from the control experiment with the actual red and the actual white. So, so to describe it to you, the listener, Uh, Essentially, what they did as a control for these individuals was they created a lexical group of terms that were roughly divided into white and red by giving them an actual white and recording what they said as descriptors and then giving them an actual red and recording what they said as descriptors. And then those two descriptors, those two sets, I should say, were the only ones they could use Mm -hmm. in the subsequent experiment. Yes. So they were choosing from A, their own limitations from the previous time and i will say this was the same white wine i Mm -hmm. believe from the previous time and these were done a week apart 
which that has its own issues, but I talk about that in the other study portion breakdown. Uh, so these terms, when you see a red wine and you're given a list of terms with white and red descriptors on them, and you're a student in an experiment, there's all sorts of reasons why you might not care to really examine the wine enough to distinguish if it's actually whatever. You might just think, oh, it's red. Uh, here's the descriptors that seem to line up. Best. Exactly. Now, again, we do know from the neurological science that color does color your perception. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll get to that. But there are also some other compounding variables that are not being controlled for here that I don't like. So that is a problem with the white versus red experiment. When it comes to the Grand Cru Class A versus the Vendetteur experiment, for one thing, the wines were tried on different days. Mm -hmm. I think it was a week apart, if I remember correctly. The study claims that the stimuli were identical in the two tasting contexts, and while I do not disbelieve that, that doesn't mean that the students themselves were not in a very different literally like biochemically speaking a different state than yeah. the previous time they tasted wine so for example hydration hugely impacts how you taste wine mm -hmm. if you're not hydrated properly you will have a harder time tasting wine because your mucous membranes are just dried out yeah more. so they're able to pick up less information what time the taster ate last so mm -hmm. if they had a late breakfast that morning that will affect how they taste the wine versus if they had not eaten since last night no, um their level of sleep their level of sleep so sure the room itself might have been identical the humidity level might have been identical serving temperatures everything but the humans themselves i can almost guarantee you were not identical to the first time they tasted so that's one weakness of the study i will say there i can almost guarantee you was probably some element of bias at play because this is a study that's not been replicated per se but has had variations done and we have been able to fool experts into giving higher scores to wines marked in higher price bottles. That's the same wine in the lower bottle. So I do recognize, yes, there was probably bias at play. But an experienced professional who knows the laws around Grand Cru Class A wines probably should have picked up mm -hmm. that something was off if it was a Vendetteur. Because Vendetteur wines, when it comes to the laws themselves... Vendetteur doesn't really have a lot of regulation, and so there's a lot of just cheap table wine, which I'm sure is what they were serving. Mm -hmm. So that's probably not going to be oaked. It's probably going to be very Merlot dominant from poor sites, so it's probably not going to be as powerful as a Grand Cru Class A will be, or as a impactful on the palate is what I mean by powerful. Someone who has expertise in the world of wine probably would have picked up on that. For or sure. at least should have. Like, for sure. Because there are things that are elements within the wine that are physical elements. You see, wine is not just some red liquid or white liquid. It is a sometimes a cacophony and sometimes a symphony of a bunch of different chemicals that are produced throughout the growing, fermentation, and aging process. Yeah. These things are very complex and have been shown as to which taste receptors, which smell receptors that they activate... And we can even number them now. Like we have taste receptors numbered. We know mm -hmm. which types of tannins are going to uh, impact it. And those tannins are changed over time. Those flavor compounds are adjusted over time. You're not going to be able to get this type of flavor compound in there in this amount unless it's been aged for this long. Yeah. These are things that are 
reasonably measurable by somebody with a substantial or rather a high quality practice of articulating what they are actually tasting. Yeah. So an expert should be able to discern that. Yeah. Even if nothing else, just from the practice of doing it so much. Exactly. They should be able to be like, oh, these tannins are actually kind of green and they're a little clunky in their their course. This is yeah. This is not a Grand Cru Class A. Yeah. It can't be. One other thing to point out, and we'll kind of move on from the studies from here, but to my knowledge, none of these studies have been replicated and they have not been put into a peer-reviewed journal no, either. But they're quoted everywhere. They are quoted everywhere. And the study itself, this is a quote from the conclusion of the actual paper. Nevertheless, the detailed mechanisms that preside over the elaboration of perceptive representations remain largely unknown to us. In what way may the stimulus sometimes be totally diverted by contextual or imaginary information? How are the prototypes constructed in the perceptive field of the taster? In what way are certain representations consensual? Some of the questions that will interest us in the future, in the view to bring even more delight, as much to those who make wine as to those who drink it, all tasters. Yeah. So this study, again, I have some questions about Frederick's intentions and perhaps, you know, clop chasing potentially. Very possibly. Um, but even the most uncharitable interpretation, if you just read the study itself, kind of just goes that far of like, maybe he was just trying to make waves with an edgy study, but he was trying to enhance our perception of wine. Exactly. He was trying to deepen our understanding of why we taste wine the way they do. How does perception of wine from color to the label affect how we view wine? And those are very valid questions. Yeah. Well, not only are they, they valid questions, but it's like, if you know that you're ability to evaluate a wine or to enjoy it we'll say mm -hmm. and to remember a wine and to really understand its character is being painted by something that shouldn't be affecting it that's biasing you towards it why wouldn't you want to remove that as an influence yeah why wouldn't you want to adjust your practice what you're doing practically in the enjoyment of the world of wine in order to account for that bias yeah that's the point of it it's not to debunk the wine world it's to refine the wine world. Well, Michael, so that all being said, can we actually reliably perceive all the compounds in wine, or is it all pretense? The answer is yes, but also <laughs> no. There have been tons and tons of research journals and chemical senses centers and uh, neurological evaluation studies that have been done to this point, and essentially it's, it's this – your brain is creating a model based on your memory. That means that everybody's taste is their own, and it's going to be idiosyncratic. What that basically means is as you taste things, the method that you use is going to determine how you're able to taste things in the future. Yeah. So the weird thing is, is that we do have super tasters, and we do have basic tasters, you know, people who have a higher level of sensitivity in smell and taste and a lower sensitivity in smell and taste. But there's not that big of a difference in the sensitivity to a wine. The distinction there being that if you take a bunch of experts and a bunch of novices and you put them in the same room and you give them all the same wine, they're all going to have the same level of brain activation. It's going to stimulate them all in the same amount. Yeah. Before you continue, I want to just say one quick thing. 
what we're talking about neurologically speaking is primarily two brain structures in the brain. These terms apply to the cortex and the system that are related to them. Mm -hmm. That is the gustatory, which is the taste cortex or system, and the olfactory or smell mm -hmm. taste system. Um, but these two combined form the chemosensory system in the brain. So this is the system that we're speaking yeah. of here. Well, which is interesting because there's also um, there is another nerve inside of your mouth that also is literally just there in order to keep you chewing without killing yourself. Mm -hmm. And that also will inform your taste perception. Yeah. So it's all of these are trying to combine in order to go through a process of reduction in order to figure out what is and what is not. And also your perception of the texture of the wine is impacts. another huge thing. Yeah. So what we can separate out into observations that are made about wine is kind of what we talked about in our last episode, but said differently. You're going to be looking at how the wine looks. You can make visual observations on its color, on its optical viscosity. You can do touch, so the texture of the wine, the weight of the wine. You can be doing flavor, and you can be doing aroma. And those are going to be kind of the main things. You can also get pain, actually, depending on how hot the wine is. Mm -hmm. So all of these are being determined by sensory organs. The sensory organs themselves, taste buds nerve endings uh with with um touch perceptors mm -hmm. you're talking about uh the olfactory your, bulb. yeah your olfactory bulb you're talking about smell receptors themselves mm -hmm. and you're talking about your eyes your the the cones of the eye yeah now the, and the rods and the rods now the cool thing about all of these is that they actually have different levels of importance placed on them inside of the brain so uh, what you see is always going to be prioritized before what you smell. But the order in which the stimulation occurs is going to determine the level of importance that your brain puts on it. So if I look at a wine, then my brain is going to start priming me for what it might taste like. Yeah. So you see red, you're going to start having a lexicon of red go through your head. But if I were to smell the wine first before seeing it, well, and I also want to add even the color red, right? Even the color so red. So is it purple red? Yeah. Or is it brickish red? Because that will even inform you, okay, young wine versus aged wine, normally speaking. Well, and also, like, this is a principle that's been used in marketing for years. Typically, you want for your foods to be richer looking, and the way that you do that is that you turn up the temperature. You increase the amount of red and orange that are that is inside of whatever it is you're trying to advertise as far as food mm -hmm. so this is a also sorry automatic just trigger a, just as a side note those um food marketing videos of like how they do it are so fascinating oh, if you yeah. ever get a chance go watch them yeah i mean because they, they put dish soap and beer yeah for the, for the foam <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing like all of this is designed in order to create a visual model for you in order to prime your expectation yeah and to be clear that's not necessarily a bad thing uh -uh. because evolutionarily speaking right looking at berries before smelling berries will tell you are the berries clean is there mold on them are they the right color that indicates ripeness to begin with you yeah. know these are these are not flaws these are just how humans had to survive to evolve to get to this place well even go more basic than that uh your body produces endorphins in order to give you the motivation to do anything if you see a red fruit off in the distance and you're sitting in your little tree 
and there's, you know, known that there's a predator around, but you really, really want that fruit, you're going to get down from the tree, you're going to go over there eventually. You're going to see that red, and you're going to see red. Yeah. You're going to go right on over there, collect that fruit, go back. So it's it's even the the visual stimulus is going into your frontal cortex directly, and it's determining your decision-making. So if you see something that looks appetizing, your decision-making is already being primed for consumption. Yeah. And as you said, going back to tasting, this takes precedence over, in terms of processes in the brain. Exactly. This takes precedence over the pure, what's called chemosensory experience. It's kind of like what people think should be, quote-unquote, the true thing that wine tasters are going after, which mm -hmm. is purely just what is in the wine. But I was trained to evaluate the color. First. The appearance. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it informs you of what is going into the wine and what the wine should taste like. Now, I should, in theory, and I could probably be fooled if I were, you know, purposefully in an experiment trying to fool me. But you also, once you get to a certain point, yes, okay, color Here's the profile of a wine that fits the color of this wine. Here's some other wines. How do they fit within that profile? Yeah. And if you smell a wine that smells like a white wine, or it smells like lemon and grapefruit, let's say, that is not great <laughs> for the profile of a red wine. <laughs> and if you have enough training, you should be picking up on that. And again, we can be fooled. Neither Gabe nor I are claiming to be experts. Mm -hmm. We haven't had that level of experience, but we are trying to engage in this practice. Yeah. So as far as chemosensory identification, the reason why I go on about visual stimulus being a perceptual influence is because of the fact that your brain is, once again, trying to create this model. Now, what really determines your accuracy is a level of skill. Yeah. Your taste, your smell your ability to discern different elements within the wine chemosensorily are going to be related to your history and your practice, and specifically, a long history of good practice. Yes. That is not to say that you are dumb or non-sophisticated uh, if you don't employ that sort of thing, but we think it enriches our ability to enjoy wine, so that's why. And there are certain smells and flavors that come from certain aroma compounds that you can be more or less sensitive to exactly the example i use on my notes is pyrazines yeah pyrazines if you don't know cabernet sauvignon and cabernet franc which is one of the parents of cabernet sauvignon these are two grapes that are known to have a concentration of pyrazines that's higher than average yeah that comes across as bell peppery sometimes yeah. or grassy stimmy grassy but not grassy like Sauvignon Blanc grassy, like green and harsh kind yeah. of grassy. And uh, it can also come from Ladybug Tank. Actually, Michael just uh, created a very wonderful little reel about that on our Instagram and our TikTok, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you mentioning it at Laidback Lush. <laughs> <laughs> at Laidback Lush. Give us a follow. Um, and so, you know, you can go more into that uh, by watching that reel. But saying all that to say, you know, pyrazines are something most people seem to be able to pick up, even mm -hmm. if you know nothing about wine. They might not immediately say bell pepper, but they'll say it, it smells harsh or yeah. it smells green or something like or they'll, that. Or they'll start saying it feels, it smells weird or minty or, yeah. or something like that. So, so that lets us know that, yes, you can, even if you're untrained, still pick up 
at least some of the more obvious indicators of what volatile compounds and flavor aroma compounds are in the wine. Well, and a lot of people are more exposed to a lot of different things now. And so you might not know it, but your your brain knows it. Yeah. The other thing is that there are some smells that your brain knows instinctively. When we're talking about mercaptans, uh, we're talking about sulfur compounds that smell like it's it's rotting. Yeah. And your brain will be able to pick up on that whether or not you've ever smelled something rotting. Yeah. You'll well, know something's wrong. Because rotting, if we want to go back to the evolutionary thing, that makes you really sick if you exactly. eat rotting food. And so that's kind of the the difference there is that there are some things that your brain already knows in order to keep you safe. And then yeah. there are other things that it knows in order to keep you from getting sick. And then there are other things that it knows that are just designed to kick your appetite up. And it's supposed to be like, hey, no, eat this. And there's a lot of other things that it has a vague image of, but it can be trained to connect particularly. So this is another interesting thing. The language center of your brain yeah. is not connected to the, well, in and of itself is not necessarily directly connected uh, in terms of parts of the brain functioning together precisely as the, this whole chemosensory system. Yeah. So a factory is going to be uh, in the memory part of the brain. Your vision is more frontal cortex uh, decision-making and then your ability to taste that's going to go more towards the gustatory system. Yeah. Which is wrapped up very closely with olfactory, but they are distinct structures in the brain still. And they actually don't activate at the same time, yeah. which is weird mm -hmm. because they inform each other, but they don't. Well, because you, your brain has to mitigate what's going exactly. on between them. Um, but saying all that to say, all of these processes are very much not removed from, but, and I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't know the proper language to use here. So I apologize. If any neuroscientists want to, you know, come on and correct us, I would, oh my God, I would, I would be love the to most have you fun. on. Please, um, please, please. But uh, <laughs> saying all that to say, uh, this is very much removed from language in, in common parlance. Well, and, that's, and that's part of yeah. why it's so hard for novices, I think, to describe wine. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why people think wine experts are so pretentious is because they have built up that crossover and that library of of language for these smells and these flavors that most people don't have come to them naturally exactly and there there are several different practices that allow for this so a lot of people when they are smelling and they are experts or they are training to become experts they will do a process of visualization while they are smelling so they smell and what they're doing is they will train themselves by going and smelling a bunch of fruits a bunch of herbs and they are visualizing the actual name, the actual substance that they're smelling at that time, so that with that consistent practice, it will happen when they smell a wine. Yeah. And they, uh, so uh, what is it called? The Von Du something, that wine tasting kit. Oh, yeah. Um, that, <laughs> with, with all the extracts. Yeah. Um, but that is legitimately a good way to train because it is the essence of all of these individual notes that you find in wine that you can smell mm -hmm. and blind yourself on and then check to see if you are right in your guess and build again it's it's building up essentially a lexicon yeah. in your brain now the cool thing so there is a difference though in smell and flavor so smell you basically have little particles of the of the substance that are entering the nose and locking in with with spots and the way that they lock in is going to trigger that memory. It's like, oh, well, where, where is this done before? And because it feeds directly into memory, 
it's typically going to evoke something pretty quickly. Yeah. Again, it's not going to be linked to language. That's one of the reasons why in the study they found that it wasn't so much they couldn't smell it, it's that when they tried to describe it, there was a problem. And that's what a lot of people end up having trouble doing in the first place, and then they feel stupid, and then they have to discount the whole world of wine by watching a video that was reductively humorous. <laughs> so when you're working, though, with taste, so uh, the map diagram is kind of wrong that they have out there. All of your taste buds can taste all the things. Some of them are going to be a little bit all more sensitive. All the things. All the things. They can taste all the things. The true thing is that your the top of your tongue isn't as sensitive. It's the sides that are the most sensitive. But essentially, the taste receptors that are there are in every single taste bud, and they can taste all of the things, the, uh, the sweetness, the sourness, the bitterness, the kokumi, the umami, the saltiness. It can do all of those. It's a specific combination of those activations and at different amounts because they can be stimulated and more or less well. and with your saliva because your saliva is going to affect concentration. Mm -hmm. All of those things are trying to identify what it might be as far as like, oh, well, is this a fruit? Oh, this has sugar. Okay, it's okay. this is fruit. This is totally fruit. We're, we're tasting fruit now. But until you have tasted that new fruit, it might taste weird or even seem imperceptible. And maybe one flavor is going to jump out at you from something as opposed to everything else because your brain's like, okay, so we already know this much. But what is going on with this? Like the first time you have a lychee. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. I was going to say kinks. Yeah. I mean, and we're just talking about like being able to identify what the flavor is. As far as chemosensory goes, you will be able to tell with that continued practice mm -hmm. of connecting your language center with your olfactory and gustatory centers. Yeah. And you can even discern between types of tannins, length, uh, lengths of tannins. You can discern between types of acid. Yeah. And you, you're already doing this a lot. If you know what the difference between a red cherry and a tart cherry is, mm -hmm. you, you're doing it. It's just that it's not involved in this practice. A lot of it is just something we take for granted. Exactly. Yeah. And when you can connect that with your language center, then yes, you can get more accurate. And they've done studies now where they've done fMRI mapping of both the novices and the experts in order to see why and how they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So the weird thing is, is that the experts actually have less brain activation in the right hemisphere of their brain and more focused activation that goes between their olfactory, their gustatory, and their language center. It's a much quicker process that allows them to identify it. So it's actually the brain, once again, trying to do less effort by developing expertise. Now, the really cool thing was this. Michael didn't tell me this part earlier, so I'm very... I, I'm with you on the edge of my seat. Listen, yeah. Or at least I hope you're on the edge of your seat. So they found that your olfactory center was not active while you were actually tasting it. So if we were to say the smell phase, you're smelling the wine, olfactory sense engaged. As soon as you put it into the mouth, olfactory goes, blip, it stops. And then it restarts with the gustatory system once you have the aftertaste. So it's almost like there's this mm. thing, and it might be that your brain is trying to be like, we need to make sure that this isn't too hot or too cold or, yeah. you know, there's an evaluation priority that's being done there. Huh. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're like, hold it on your tongue. Yeah. But the cool thing was this. They found that that was only true for the novices. Really? The experts 
showed brain stem activation and were able to modulate how their perception was being activated in their brain. That's fascinating. So literally, they were directing their brain on which parts of the brain should be receiving the stimulus and interpreting it. That is so cool. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? Yeah. And it just... It, oh, I love It that. feels very validating because, again, like, it's a, it's a practice. Yeah. You know, this is a skill that you develop. And so knowing that you can do that is actually amazing. And one of the main differences that they had was actually in that key lexical difference. The actual metrics for evaluation with the novices, they would use very general terms. And there is like, oh, well, it tastes like plum and it tastes like this. And then with the experts, they were going into the underlying qualities of the wine that were actually causing it. It's acid. It's level of tannins. It's level of this. It's level of that. Listen to our tasting episode. Yeah. Where we go into the, how to perceive those things. It's, it's so cool to see that there is actually a neurological difference between the people who do practice that over an extended period of time and those that can't to the point that you're like, activating different parts of your brain like that's the coolest thing in the world to me the primal tasting method right <laughs> well to close things out then unless you had anything else you wanted to say uh going back to our wine experts if you guys want to see a wine expert do the thing that adam ruins everything very heavily implied that experts cannot do go on youtube and type in wine expert guesses cheap versus expensive wine now, this is from the channel Epicurious, and this is a really good video that showcases a woman who is a wine expert tasting a sparkling wine, white wine, red wine, port-style wine, and rosé. And she tastes two of each, and the experiment is just, can she guess which one is the more expensive wine between these pairs? And every time, she gets it right. And what I like about the video is she explains why she thinks that. So she does go into the acid profile of the sparkling wine and the moose body and how that affects her perception and the different aroma compounds and what those can mean and why they indicate a higher quality price point. That's what we're talking about when we talk about these, these higher level tasting methods of examining the structure of the wine and combining that with the flavor notes of the wine to then deduce how might this indicate how this wine was made? Mm -hmm. And that can tell you so much. And part of why studying wine is not some BS pastime that has no actual meaning or anything. Now, yes, some critics, and we'll get into this in the next episode, which will be about kind of some more uh, philosophy because I cannot help myself <laughs> as someone who unfortunately likes philosophy um, and, you know, reading all this stuff about skepticism of experts and stuff. Just it started making me think about how we perceive expertise mm -hmm. and why we have some of the biases that we do around it. But, yeah, so watch that video. And in the next episode, we'll get into more of what goes into wine expertise. And uh, going back to the point that brought me onto this. Sometimes, yes, there are wine experts that are full of it. Yeah. And the other thing is this, and this is the part that I do agree with Adam, is that you shouldn't feel judged for enjoying wine how you want to. Exactly. Yes. You, you shouldn't feel judged for it. Anybody who is making you 
like feel demeaned or anything like that. They're just not healthy people to be around. That's not a problem with the wine industry. It's a problem in the wine industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So no one likes snobs. Nobody likes snobs. Nobody likes people who are unfriendly and demeaning towards others. And the fact is, is that if anything about the science of perception and how mutable and influenced it can be has taught me is that you really just have to be humble about it. And it is a humbling thing to know that your brain is just creating this world for you to live in based on how well you practice your perception. Yeah. And that's the whole thing, though. You get to actually have that conversation with your perception in order to refine it, in order to enrich it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And in my opinion, it makes wine more enjoyable when oh, yeah. you are able to really think about it. Yeah. No, I'm encouraging the practice 100%. If you're not doing this, I heavily invite you to do so because that's what makes it so rich for me. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, tune in next time to hear me wax philosophical and quote Baudrillard. <laughs> It's not the only quote that you have in there. It's not, but you'll have to find out who else I'm quoting. Oh, dear. And the next episode of Laidback Live. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. I've been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.